Hey everyone, Adam from The Mainline here. You're about to listen to a special edition of The Mainline podcast, which was recorded live via Twitter Spaces. It's a little bit different sound quality than we typically put out there, but we hope you still enjoy it. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at The Mainline Pod so you can join in live next time. special guests uh, this evening as well. We've got uh, Captain 405, uh, kind of a, I guess the recruiting insider gets thrown around quite a bit in the space, but uh, someone that is definitely plugged into a lot of things that are going on in the recruiting world. And of course, uh, Andrew Smith, a lot of you guys know him from uh, different Twitter spaces, from uh, other ventures that he's doing, you know, around softball. Um, not, not too many people that know more about what's going on in the softball world. Uh, than, than Andrew is, and uh, we're expecting to, to be joined by uh, Tattoo Baker here shortly uh, to discuss some of those things, but uh, guys, welcome in. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us this evening. Oh, thanks for having us. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Appreciate it. Yeah, and again, welcome everybody. Uh, we are in the middle of a, a live episode, a live Twitter space edition of the Mainline Podcast, and a lot of really good things that we want to discuss tonight. And kind of dive into, obviously, we are all ready to move on uh, from the disappointing six and seven season a year ago. And Saturday uh, will give us many new firsts as it pertains to Team 129. Our first chance, obviously, to get a look at the early enrollee true freshmen. Uh, obviously, the ones that come to mind, Jackson Arnold, Peyton Bowen, PJ Atabare. And it's also kind of our first real look at some of the transfers that we've got some high expectations for going into this fall. Desan McCullough, Rondell Bothroyd, Andrell Anthony, Reggie Pearson, to name a few. And it's kind of also our first look at some live action for some of these guys that are, that are in the middle of some pretty serious position battles. So there's a lot to look forward to, and we've only got a few more days left until we get to see it. So um, just kind of throwing this over to you guys, you know, um, you know, Andrew, and uh, just kind of talk to us a little bit about, you know, just your initial expectations, maybe something that you're, you know, looking forward to seeing on Saturday. And I guess we can, you know, kind of start with the crowd, uh, what expectations are for that. Yeah, I mean, I personally have pretty high expectations for the crowd. Um, I mean, I think we had 75,000 last year. Um, and I think, you know, if, you, if you're if you on OU Twitter at all, especially dealing with former players in the NFL, there's the constant accusation of we love Baker more than we do Kyler. So I really want to make sure, at least for that, um, if nothing else, we show out uh, for Kyler, but I think it's also just as important to show out for the huge recruits that we're going to have uh, in attendance as well. So I would like to see at least 70 K. I think that it, it would uh, really be good to stay within that 5,000 range of that, but I would love to see us beat it. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll feed you a little bit here, Tyler, because I want to hear your opinion on this one specifically. And I hope I don't steal your thunder on, uh, this specific question, but, you know, you and I, we come from a background working in the ticket office. You know, we have a good understanding of how much that lower bowl uh, at OU can, can fill probably about 60,000. I think is mm-hmm. if I'm remembering everything correctly, but if you go online right now to seniorsports.com and you're uh, getting your spring game tickets, you can buy, buy seat locations, see the seat map and everything. I just checked a few minutes before we went live here uh, sections, I think three through eight are, are pretty much sold out. 
Um, so we've got a long way to go um, to fill in that lower bowl there. There's going to be a lot of seats in the end zones that are, are empty right now. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I think I'm a little bit more pessimistic on, on what we could be at. But um, Tyler, you know, what, what are you expecting attendance wise? And then uh, we'll go to the captain here to, to round out that first question. Yeah, Adam. I mean, well, I fully expect Sooner Nation and the fan base to show up on Saturday. I don't think we're going to be close uh, to what it was last year, you know, hitting that 75,000 mark. Last year was kind of a perfect recipe. Lincoln Riley burns us, leaves for the West Coast. You know, excitement and intrigue around year one of the Brent Venables era. And kind of like what Andrew was talking about, the cherry on top was Baker Mayfield being honored with his Heisman statue. So OU fans showed up last year wanting to send a message that, you know, this is the mecca of college football right here You know, in Norman, Oklahoma. It doesn't get any better uh, than right there on the corner of Jenkins and Asp. So with that being said, I still expect probably fifty-five to 60,000 people in the stands in Norman on Saturday, weather pending. Uh, obviously, we hope we get a good draw on that. But, again, Andrew made a re- really good point. You've got Kyler. You know, obviously, we want to honor him and, you know, all the incredible things that he did during his time here at Oklahoma. Even though it was just one year, it was a pretty damn good one year in itself. And when you look at, you know, kind of the list that's already being put together, some of the recruits that are going to be on campus – you know, making, you know, your your presence felt from the stands, you know, when talking about, you know, some of the elite home field atmospheres and some of the home field advantages, uh, you know, uh, Oklahoma has ultimately has to not just continue what they're doing, but they've got to, you know, take another step forward ultimately, you know, with this being our last year in the Big 12 and with what we're going to be expecting going into the SEC. So, uh, again, if you haven't bought your tickets up to this point, you know, get them, um, you know, be there on Saturday, support the guys, you know, uh, make these recruits feel welcome uh, and you know there's there's not too many times a year I think we only get seven Saturdays uh, in the calendar year where we you know we get to go uh, in there as a fan base and enjoy some you know live in-person football uh, from the University of Oklahoma and this just you know this is just kind of another one of those you know special days where once you walk out of that stadium on Saturday you know the you're already starting to turn the calendar you're already starting to look forward to fall camp getting underway and you know you see the season you know, start line, you know, vastly approaching. So uh, expecting a really nice turnout from the fans on Saturday. I think it's going to be really special. Captain, we saw Ohio State get 75,000. That's the high water mark so far for a spring game this year. Do you think OU is going to be able to touch that? I don't think we, we get to 75K this year. I, I think it's probably going to be closer to 60 to 65 if I had to guess. But I think a couple of things that are going to be working in OU's favor uh, for the attendance will be the weather uh, because I, I looked uh, earlier earlier this afternoon, I looked it up, and I think it's going to be uh, good temperature wise, and not too crazy with the wind either, by Oklahoma standards at least. So we'll see how that plays out. But um, I know ticket sales. I, I've heard the same kind of information on ticket sales that was mentioned earlier. But um, one other element that I know happened last year was that we had a lot of walk-ups last minute uh, that uh, that came in. So hopefully there's a repeat of that, but we'll, we'll have to see. If, if I'm not mistaken, uh, we had over 10,000 walk-ups last year. Which is, is pretty crazy for from an operational perspective, just knowing who's going to show up, how do you staff everything. Um, it sounds like a nightmare from, uh, from Tyler and I's perspective uh, from back in the day working in, in ticketing, but uh, – but yeah, hopefully we get a good turnout. I, I think a lot of people, especially on the spring game, do kind of wait and see what the weather is going to look like and then make their decision based on that. And it doesn't look like bad weather, um, you know, no rain in the forecast at the moment, uh, knock on wood. 
um, but could be a little bit warmer, but but certainly not not too bad. We've we've had worse uh, in, in more recent years. Um, let's talk a little bit about on the field. You know what we're looking forward to, what we want to see uh, from some of the newer players. Uh, you know guys that we aren't familiar with, specifically the the new freshmen that are already on campus and some of the transfers as well. Uh, Andrew, I'll I'll kick this one to you to kick us off here. Uh, which player are you most specifically looking forward to to watching and kind of locking in and seeing what they're able to provide to the Sooners this fall? Um, you know what? I might give you a freshman and I might give you a transfer. I think freshman-wise, a lot of people are going to say Jackson Arnold, and it's certainly not the wrong answer. But for me, um, I'm probably stuck between Peyton Bowen and, and uh, P.J. Adivari. Um So those those two are probably – uh, for me, just because I think that they're going to be more of a contributor this year. And so that's kind of the immediate impact I want to see um, from the reports, everything Jackson's doing great. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think those two. And then I think uh, uh, Bothroyd, as far as transfer goes, I think that's uh, that's what I want to see, um, how he, he impacts the game, uh, and especially in the, the run game. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more, Andrew. I think a couple couple that I'm going to kind of have my eye on on Saturday, obviously everybody wants to see, you know, Jackson and, and Peyton and, and PJ, but uh, I think a couple players, you know, not saying that they're off the radar, but I think that Kobe McKenzie is going to be one that I've got my eye on on Saturday. You, you know, when you go down the – the list of the guys in that linebacker room, you know, you've got Danny Stutzman, a proven commodity, has played a lot of football in the last couple of seasons in Oklahoma. But really after that, when you look and see who's kind of graduated, you know, who's gone to the NFL over the past couple of seasons, once you get past Danny, there's really not very much uh, proven uh, guys uh, from a production standpoint uh, on the field. So obviously there's a lot of hype. We got to see a little bit of Jaron Kananick from uh, Jaron Kanick from a year ago. But Kobe McKenzie is one that there's been a lot of hype around, you know, especially over the past three to four weeks of spring football. Obviously, you see the the pictures, you see the tape. He's transformed his body. He's obviously taken his time with Jerry Schmidt very seriously, you know, over the last six to 12 months. So, you know, seeing what he looks like, you know, in, in front of 60 to 70,000 people on Saturday, Andrell Anthony is another one, guys, that I think is going to be somebody that I'm going to have my eye on. We've talked about it time and time again, you know, in past episodes when trying to, you know, forecast the 2023 season. And some of the position groups, you know, coming back in the wide receiver room, obviously you've got Jaleel Farouk, you've got, you know, Drake Stoops, two proven commodities that you know what you – you kind of feel like you know what you've got and what you can expect from those two guys. But, you know, past those two guys, there's (laughs) there's really not too much that you can really hang your hat on when you kind of go down the list and see some of the other guys that are going to be expected to make plays for us on Saturday. So the transfer from Michigan, Andre Anthony, we've obviously heard a lot of really, really good things, you know, from the coaching staff, from Dylan Gabriel. He's a speedster, has the opportunity to, you know, to be Oklahoma's big play uh, threat in the passing game down the field. So Kobe McKenzie, want to see how he moves out in space, if he's able to make some plays. And then obviously Andre Anthony and what this Oklahoma passing attack uh, can kind of look like once we uh, once we kick off here on uh, September second, Captain. I can't believe that uh, everybody left the this on a golden platter for you. So tell us why you're looking forward most to seeing Davis Bevel and his transition to tight end. <laughs> you know, I, I was hoping nobody would take him. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, now, there's two guys that I have in mind. Well, really three guys. So uh, among the freshmen. I want to see what Caden Green looks like at offensive tackle. There's been a lot of really positive buzz about him um, starting in winter workouts and how he's handled 
the uh, those with Smitty and how that's gone. But also, as you got into spring, you've heard a lot of really good things about him. And uh, he's gotten a lot of opportunities as they've they've worked through some injury issues at that position. So I'd like to see how he operates and, and just how he moves around, how ready he is. Uh, I'm also curious to see Trace Ford. I think we're going to get to see some of him. I'm not sure, but I've uh, listening to some post-practice interviews from the media availability today. It sounds like he's been cleared uh, here within the last few days and has started to, to show uh, some of his ability. And obviously uh, it, w- it would be huge for the Sooners if he could stay healthy this year. But uh, the, the reports out of that media availability sound very, very promising uh, for Trey. So I'd like to see what, what he's got and if he can uh, get some time in practice or in the spring game today uh, on Saturday. And then um, I, I'm also curious to see Derek LeBlanc and, uh, and, and how, he, how he looks. Again, a lot of really positive buzz through winter workouts about how he's acclimated himself to, um, to the college life. And um, and more reports out of spring about just just how he's put on the, some good weight and and seems to be on a, on a good track to be able to to play to at least some extent this year. So uh, very curious to see how he looks and and uh, and from there, Jackson Arnold is is obviously uh, the, the talk of the town as far as uh, you know how well he's taken to the playbook and, and the practices that he's put together. So um, I think everybody, everybody's going to be uh, curious to see how he looks, but those are the main ones that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. Tattoo. We were just walking through uh, the, the different freshmen and transfers that we're most interested to see what they're able to provide on the field uh, this upcoming Saturday. Do you have anyone specific that you're looking forward to seeing the most? That's a newer player to the Sooners. Gosh. Uh let me just hold on to the roll of decks of players we just got because there's obviously the late late transfers too. Let me let me come back on that. Sure, I'll I'll fill a little bit of time there because I think the guy that I had at the top of my mind here wasn't someone that uh, was mentioned so far, and that's Josh Bates, uh, the potential future at the center position for the Sooners. And there's obviously been the more recent drama around uh, Andrew Rame and maybe some disagreements he had in practice earlier this week or, or last week. I can't remember when it, exactly it was, but it sounds like things are patched up there in that particular relationship. Uh, but he's a guy that I think Sooner fans have looked at and said, man, we, we wish we could get a lot more out of Andrew Rame in that center position because that's the, the tip of the spear uh, for the offensive line. And so what does Josh Bates look like? Um, we've also seen, too, that recently the Sooners put out an offer to a offensive lineman in the transfer portal, uh, a lineman from App State, a guy that was supposedly offered as guard, but who knows what that really means once, you know, someone like that would actually transfer to OU. It looks like, um, you know, the staff might also be looking for another offensive lineman. Uh, I think there was one from Texas A&M that recently entered the portal. So it, it seems to me that that offensive line, especially that interior is the area that the coaches don't feel quite comfortable with what they have. So I think Josh Bates can go a long way as far as saying, Hey, that's a reliable body that you can can have even as a true freshman. And if he's able to do something impressive on Saturday, I think that will give probably a lot of confidence, not just for uh, the coaches, but also for the fans as well. Um, Tattoo, I'll, I'll bounce it back to you if you have someone in mind that you want to uh, highlight there on the just the incoming uh, Sooners there. I want to see if Hollywood, you know, makes a splash at running back. Obviously, we have, you know, great dudes in the stable already with Saul Chuck and um, 
dang it. Number two, uh, Barnes. Yeah, Barnes. Um, so see if Hollywood could um, come in there, and also to uh, it. it's the other kid from uh, Dallas area, Hicks. Yeah, Hicks. Yeah. So if if he can, if they can, you know, the running back position, obviously, maybe maybe Jackson to see if they if he ever gets used. Obviously, he's got if he's on a redshirt this year, he's got four in the bowl game. I don't, honestly, you don't want him to play, but. Uh, to your point, um, Adam, about Bates, um, if I recall correctly, I remember seeing something that he's working at guard additionally. Um, so it might be something to watch for if he gets in the game at guard at the spring game at all. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I said this in our uh, Discord the other day. And I was like, is Josh Bates really about to become my favorite sooner? I think probably yes. <laughs> uh, the The kind of common theme with him – is that he's mean and we haven't really had that meanness on our offensive line since about 2018, 2017. So uh, it, uh, the kind of the comp for him, I've heard a lot is honestly Creed Humphrey as far as that kind of that just meathead that just loves to hit people. So really looking forward to see Bates. So I agree with you. Yeah, on that you one. you look at some of the quotes that have came out of the the media availabilities with with Bill Beanbow when talking about Josh Bates and you know kind of what he projects you know during the time over the course of his career at Oklahoma. There's there's a little bit of the the skill set of Creed Humphrey, but the mentality and the way he plays the game similar to a guy like Ben Powers, where he's got a little bit of that nastiness, that aggression that he plays with. Um, so obviously, you know, expectations are going to be pretty high for Josh Bates. But again, offensive line is going to be something that's going to be really interesting to kind of follow. And I'm not sure how much you're truly going to be able to take away um, for, from what we see on Saturday. Obviously, no Walter Rouse. He's out with injury. Uh, we're not going to see, you know, any of, you know, Jacob Sexton coming off of the ACL tear during the Florida State game. But uh, there's going to be a lot of moving pieces. You're going to see some guys playing some positions that, you know, once fall camp rolls around, once this team is back to being – you know, fully healthy, you're going to see some guys, you know, kind of move back outside to the tackle position. Or, you know, you might see a Caden Green who, you know, as, as good as he's looked through the first three to four weeks of, of uh, spring football, he's playing one of the tackle positions right now. He might have a future and a uh, better chance of getting on the field this fall by sliding inside and taking one of those uh, guard positions, you know, or at least finding himself in the two deep. So, Adam, throwing this back over to you, let's uh, let's not talk individually. Let's talk position groups here because obviously there's some big position battles. There's a lot of competition, you know, in a couple couple of those rooms um, that, that's been going, uh, you know, through spring football. So, Adam, what's a position group that you've got your eye on that you're really excited to see uh, what some of the guys in that room, uh, how they play on Saturday? You hit spot on there just in regards to the offensive line, so I won't reiterate too much of that, but there's, there's a lot of unknowns there. You've got some returning starters and Andrew Rame and McCaden Tyre, who I'm not – I feel like those guys definitely have more that they can give or maybe they've maxed out what they could give and they probably need to be passed up potentially. So what do some guys behind them on the depth chart look like? And then Tyler Guyton we're all super excited about. We hear great things from, um, you know, experts in the field that have a great understanding about, you know, what an offensive tackle should look like at the NFL level. But – he didn't start last year. Uh, Juan A. Morris did. So Tyler got mixed in, got in you know, some playing time there, but it's all based off of potential and hype at this point. We don't have a whole lot of track record to back up what Guyton's able to do. And then Walter Rouse mentioned he's not playing this, this Saturday. He's a guy with a lot of experience. 
but you also want to see some guys behind him uh, even take a step and develop because Walter Rouse is a one-year rental. So I think there's a lot of elements there on the offensive line because that's going to dictate how far you know this team as an offense can go, especially as your receivers are, are finding their footing early in the season and we're starting to figure out who our go-to guys are. Uh, it's going to be so important to have an offensive line that can effectively open up the running lanes and, and propel those running backs forward. Um, I'll bounce it over to the captain here. Is there a specific uh, position group that you're most interested to see and how would you measure their success on Saturday? Linebacker is the most intriguing position to me. I, I think outside of defensive line, uh, there has been a lot of talk. I know inside the building about uh, emphasizing run fits. And, and that was something that the linebacker core struggled with last year a lot. So uh, run fits and angles and you know, Jaron Canick and Cody McKenzie are, are in, seem like they're locked in a battle there for that, uh, for one of those spots. I want to see if Danny Stutzman has, has continued some of the improvement that he showed latter half of last year as, as the season progressed. So, uh, yeah, linebacker is definitely the, the group that I'll be watching closest. And I think that's probably one of the groups that we can, just by watching those particular elements of the game, get a read on, you know, are, are these guys uh, operating as a unit? Are they doing what the coaches are asking in terms of where they're fitting and, and how, how they're filling uh, the various gaps that they're responsible for? Tattoo, who you got here for a position? Uh, I'm going to say defensive backs because obviously Jaden Davis just uh, is out of the portal. So the guys that came in and also have been contributing for a year or a year or so and a half to see how they play, how they react, you know, balls are going to be interceptions, how they, if they pick off Jackson, if they pick off Dil, or, yeah, Dylan Gabriel, um, just a ready unit, you know, because uh, now it's been a full, full year and a half now that they've been with a new defensive uh, backs coach. So. Yeah, and Tattoo, to even, you know, take it one step further on that, I think a lot of people, you know, I wouldn't say that they were overly surprised, but there was definitely, you know, people were kind of taken back when they saw Jane Davis's announcement into the transfer portal yesterday. And, you know, obviously, you know, there's a couple different ways that you can, you know, kind of take that news. But, you know, with Jane Davis, you know, very thankful uh, you know, for this kid's efforts and the impact that he's had on this program, you know, the past couple of seasons. Obviously, he's played a lot of football. He was a starter from a year ago. But honestly, guys, I'm taking this news, him entering the portal, as a sign that we've got some young guys that have kind of burst onto the scene and are ready to make an impact. Obviously, there's been a lot of hype. There's been a lot of praise uh, from Jay Valai and even Brandon Hall when you talk about Kendall Dolby, the, the Dolby, uh, you know, the Juco product, him coming in and making an impact right away. Uh, Drencher Williams, good to see him back out there on the practice field. You kind of feel like Woody Washington, he's got the, that, you know, corner number one spot locked up right now, but who's going to mirror him on the opposite side? Obviously, we've heard a lot about Kendall Dolby. Drencher Williams is another one, but Jay Valai, Brandon Hall, and the rest of this coaching staff, while they are high on those two, there's also been a lot of praise and a lot of you know good things that we've seen from a guy like Makari Vickers or a guy even like Josiah Wagner, who wasn't as highly touted as a recruit coming out of high school, but you know he's a little bit undersized, but plays bigger than the size would indicate. You know, so Josiah Wagner's a guy that I would expect to once fall camp gets here, I, I wouldn't fully expect him to, you know, maybe be one of those guys in the 2D pushing, pushing for uh, some uh, some playing time. So, yeah, uh, secondary is going to be one for me. I completely agree with you guys uh, on the linebacker position because it's Danny Stutzman and then what? We don't really know what to expect from anybody else behind them. So uh, there's going to be a lot of young guys that are going to have to grow up extremely fast. Uh, and one other guy that's, you know, currently not on campus right now but – Outside of, you know, Peyton Bowen, PJ, and Jackson, 
you know, the, the five stars in the class. My favorite player in this class as a whole uh, was Lewis Carter, the the linebacker out of Florida. I think he's going to have an opportunity to come in. It's it's very difficult for guys that are not early enrollees as true freshmen to make their way onto the field and, you know, in any type of, you know, significant playing time. But I think that Lewis Carter, with his skill set, with his, with his athleticism, you know, playing that brand of football down in South Florida, I fully expect Lewis Carter, if he can figure things out mentally, I think he could come in and, uh, you know, take a few snaps away from some people. So that's another one for me. Andrew, we gave you last shot at this one. Is there a position group maybe that we, we've missed so far that you think is pretty important to be zoning in on this spring game? Yeah, I'm honestly surprised no one said it already. Wide receiver. Definitely. Yeah, so, I mean, you've got – we've got some guys that have experience, but none of those guys were the guy. So that's what we're looking for, someone to step up and be the number one option for this team. Obviously, there's some guys uh, that have the potential to do it, um, and some of them are just simply young and don't have the experience yet, but certainly will have opportunities to be that. Um, You took in some transfers that you're hoping um, pop, you know, and even some transfers from last year uh, that were injured. You know, LV Bungley Shelton uh, is one that I can think of. and then you've got uh, Andrew Anthony came in this year. But then you've got guys that were freshmen that were hurt. They didn't really get to see much playing time. And Nick Anderson last year, you got Jaden Gibson. Um, and then and add that into with Jaleel Farouk and um, Drake Stoops. Um, so, I mean, there's certainly some got – there's talent in the room. We just need to know who's the guy. Yeah, Andrew, I think you make a really good point. And, you know, talking about Jaleel Farouk and Drake Stoops, 76 catches combined from a year ago, you know what those guys are going to bring to the table. But really after that, you know, not counting Andre Anthony, you know, the transfer from Michigan, you go down the list. Nick Anderson last year, one catch, five yards. Jaden Gibson, one catch, 12 yards. LV Bunkley-Shelton, two catches. Uh, J.J. Hester, one catch. D.J. Graham, hasn't played a meaningful snap at the wide receiver position in a live game in an Oklahoma uniform. So, again, a lot of talent behind those guys, but it's just unproven at this point. And, you know, I think that Gavin Freeman is poised maybe to take some snaps away uh, from, from maybe a few people that were, you know, more highly recruited. Obviously, we've heard a lot of really good things about him over the course of spring ball. Um, and then, obviously, you can't forget about the two guys that are going to be coming in the month of June and Keon Brown and Jaquez Petaway, who, you know, anybody who listens to our podcast, um, you know, Adam, I made a prediction, you know, probably about a month ago. I think Jaquez Petaway is going to be a starter halfway through the season this upcoming year. When you look at this guy's track speed, you look at the, his ability to make plays when he's got the ball in his hands, I think he's a perfect combination of Hollywood Brown meets D.D. Westbrook. So whether or not this kid, once he gets here in the month of June, if he can figure things out mentally, if he can pick things up on Jeff Levy's offense – I think I think Jaquez Petaway, the five you know five foot eleven, hundred and seventy pounder out of Houston, Texas. I, I think the sky's the limit for this kid. I can't wait to see what this kid does in an Oklahoma uniform. My name is Adam Jaquez, and I, I selfishly want Jaquez Petaway to have slightly different pronunciation so people can finally learn how to pronounce my last name. But uh, hey, appreciate everyone jumping in and listening in on our live podcast this evening. Uh, my name's Adam. I'm holding down the main line account here, but Tyler's my normal co-host. Um, greatly appreciate our speakers being with us this evening, Captain Tattoo, Andrew. Um, go ahead and follow them if you're not already, or if you're listening later on on the podcast, 
We'll have their profiles linked in the show notes as well. Um, but this is something that we do on a normal basis. Every week, every Tuesday night, Tyler and I are providing this type of content. Uh, we're focused this evening around OU football because the spring game is just around the corner, but we're talking all sorts of different sports, uh, baseball, softball, so on and so forth. So I um, greatly appreciate everyone listening in. Andrew, we made you go last on the, uh, on the most recent question here, but I'll give you first crack at the next one. This one kind of, I guess, maybe it could be a younger guy, but probably a little bit more focused on some of the more experienced veterans on this team, the guys that are, are going to contribute the most. So who do you think is the most important player on the Sooner roster heading into the fall? And what could they do on Saturday that would give you confidence that, hey, they're going to be able to fill that role as the most important player and bring a lot of success to uh, the team this fall? I mean, it has to start with the quarterback. So it has to be Dylan Gabriel. Um, I think there's lots of questions about, um, you know, his ability to throw over the middle of the field. Um, So I think that would probably be the one thing that he could do and they could – make a concerted effort to, to show that he's capable of doing. Um, you know, we've got some different targets over the middle now. we got a 6'6 tight end um, that uh, is an absolute weapon in the red zone that we'd love to be able to use. So, um, yeah, I think I think the answer has to be Dylan Gabriel. There's so many other guys that you can do. And like, hey, they are going to be a vital piece, but ultimately it's going to come down to quarterback just like it always does. Tattoo, who would you go with for uh, most important player on the team? I'm not going to say Dylan because, obviously, Andrew just said that. I'm going to probably say defensive-wise. Do you say how Danny Stetson's moving? Say that. Uh, obviously, uh, wasn't it Tyler? Tyler said something about the linebackers. Right? No, Captain said something about the linebackers. Just see how they flow, you know, side-to-side side side movement. Obviously, hopefully, they have look, make them look like they have an, an, another gear. It's probably Danny for defense. Yeah, I definitely think that we're going to see a big jump in what the linebackers are able to do. You know, year two in Brent Venable's system, getting used to his coaching style, and obviously he's the best linebackers coach in the country, so you'd like to be able to see a, a huge jump there. Um, Tyler, what, what do you have, and we'll round it out with Captain after you. Yeah, I mean, I think you going down the list here, you know, DG's obviously number one. I think you flip things over to the other side on, you know, the defensive side of the football. Stutzman, obviously, you know, coming into this season, his junior year, you know, th- this is his defense, and, you know, we've kind of been – there's been so much, you know, talk about expectations for this kid, especially once, you know, it was announced that, you know, um, Brent Venables was going to be the head coach at Oklahoma. When you talk about linebacker play at the elite level in college football, you you have to start that conversation talking about Brent Venables. So now that Danny's had, you know, not just one full season under Brent, but he's had a full off season. He's able to go through spring football, and he's able to, you know, continue to uh, learn and continue to be developed by this coaching staff. Uh, I think that Danny, it is pivotal that he stays healthy next year and is able to be productive for this defense. And, you know, I, I think that when you talk about lack of depth, at some of these position groups or lack of, you know, lack of proven depth. I think Jalil Farouk is also, uh, it's pretty imperative that he stays healthy so that he's able to be productive. Because like I said, once you get past Jalil and Drake, there's not really too much that you can hang your hat on at this point in this, at the, uh, at this point of the year. So uh, yeah, my four would be Gabriel Stutzman, uh, Billy Bowman. I'm going to throw in there as well, even though, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but secondary is not a position going into the season that I'm going to be too overly concerned about. I can't remember the last time that we've said that going into an OU season. Uh, but, yeah, Gabriel Stutzman, Bowman, and Jalil Farouk would be my four. That It's uh, it's pretty important that these guys play uh, all 13 games for OU next season. Well, Tyler picked pretty much half the roster there. Captain, who do you have? <laughs> 
Billy Bowman is my pick because he he's the quarterback of the defense uh, to a large degree. Uh, whenever he was injured last year, the the, uh, the defense wasn't great at any point last year, but they they took a significant uh, turn for the worst whenever he was injured uh, at different points last season. So you know, he's obviously the most experienced or one of the most experienced guys, especially at that safety position. Um, this is it's his second year in Brent's defense, and uh, and he's got a lot of ability. Obviously, I mean he's he's one of the better players on the team overall. So uh, I think he's probably they've got a lot of depth and a lot of talent in that secondary, more so than they have in a really long time at OU. But if there's anybody that they could least afford to lose, uh, it would be Billy Bowman. I'm going to go defensive on this one and kind of how Andrew alluded to it earlier with Dylan Gabriel, the way that that quarterback position obviously affects every other position on the field for offense. Um, how about defensive line? I'm going to go with Rondell Bothroyd. We've, we've talked about that a lot as far as how, yeah, they need to get a lot more pressure on the quarterback, but that vastly changes things and affects how the secondary is able to play. I think last year, and, and Tyler, you mentioned this, that, hey, the, you're not too worried about the secondary going into this year. And I, the secondary wasn't as bad as probably the stats or some of the scores indicated last season. They just had to cover for way, way too long. And so having an effective pass rush is, is obviously so critical. But I think you, you can just change so much of the dynamic for the rest of the team uh, just with one player. So we really need to have a hit out of the transfer portal and, and Bothroyd is our best chance at this point. Um, so uh, we'll see what, what he's able to provide there. Now this, this next question, maybe it's, maybe it's too easy at this point. We saw Davis Bevel taking some reps as a tight end uh, at practice on, on videos earlier today. Um, I guess I'll open this one up to Tyler first, but is Jackson Arnold the clear backup to Dylan Gabriel after Saturday? Hands down. I don't, I think that he was, I think that you could go ahead and pencil him in as quarterback two on the depth chart as soon as he signed his national letter of intent. So, um, I mean, it's, it's no secret. You just watch, you know, Davis Bevel versus Jackson Arnold, just watching these guys throw the football. I mean, it's, it's night and day difference. So no, I, I have absolutely no concern or it would you know be led to believe that anybody other than Jackson Arnold will be uh, sitting at number two on that depth chart last, next year. And, you know, we, we talk about Jackson Arnold, you know, his impact, not just on the recruiting class that you just inherited, but I think that the, you know, the person who Jackson Arnold could also have the biggest positive impact on going into this season is Dylan Gabriel, because last year, I mean, you know, we, we don't want to – one of the things that we don't ever try to do, you know, on the Mainline Podcast is, you know, try to, you know, uh, you know, belittle a player or, you know, you know, talk about, you know, some of the shortcomings, things like that. But Dylan Gabriel, he could have literally gone out there last year, thrown five interceptions every single game, and I really don't think that the coaching staff would have trusted Davis Bevel to go out there. But now Dylan Gabriel doesn't have that luxury this offseason. He's not going to have that luxury next, you know, next season – where once the once the lights are on, he knows that he's got a five star quarterback who is just as if not more talented than he is. He just hasn't, you know, he's just not as uh, well seasoned because he's a true freshman. So I think that Jackson Arnold being on campus this early in the calendar year has been, uh, you know, a huge positive for for Dylan Gabriel with you know his his ability to prepare, his ability to develop, uh, and you know uh, build upon what's going to be I think a successful, exciting uh, exciting year for Dylan Gabriel this fall. Andrew? Yeah, I mean, 
goodness, I totally lost track of what you what the question was. Trying to get back into the app. What was it again? Just Jackson Arnold. You know, if we we come out of Saturday, oh, yeah, yeah. he's pretty much the clear backup at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he absolutely is. Um, I think, I think we can all agree with um, with what he said that we knew he was going to be QB two coming in as soon as he you know signed his letter of intent. But I do appreciate the fact that they didn't rush him into that, and they wanted to you know just give him the time and space he needed to learn the offense. Um, and then put him in positions to compete and learn. And it sounds like he's passed those tests with flying colors. So there's really no reason for him not to be QB2 um, because ideally Dylan's not going to get hurt. So realistically, you'd love him to be QB2, but also get tagged with a red shirt. So <clears throat> that's kind of, I think, best case scenario. Um, you know, give him a couple of games of cleanup duty perhaps, and then maybe um, – you know, bowl prep and whatnot as well. So I think uh, I think he's clearly QB two, um, but would still love to see them be able to have the luxury of redshirting him. Captain, I guess we're running out of potential other other players that could be competing for that second spot if Davis Bevel truly is making a transition to tight end. We'll see what that really means. Uh, we just saw a couple of reps today, but uh, how do you see this quarterback battle, especially the backup position, going? It's definitely going to be Jackson Arnold as QB2. And to Jackson's credit, I think he's made that an easy decision for the coaches to make at this point, just based on how he's come into the program and established himself as a good teammate and a leader, in a, as well as the, the obvious physical talent that he's displayed to this point. And he's he's put in the extra work to learn the playbook and, and establish rapport with his teammates that he's going to need in order to, to hold that position and to, to have the confidence of, of Levy and, and Venables. So at this point, yes, I, it's definitely going to be Jackson Arnold, but you know, he's, he's definitely put in the work that it takes to establish that kind of confidence and trust in him and give the coaches that, uh, that uh, peace of mind to have him in that role. Jeff was spot on there. And if you guys aren't, aren't familiar with this uh, Twitter spaces, you're able to throw a response in the tweet in the bottom right there, that little icon that looks like the speech bubble. Uh, Jeff asked exactly what our next question was. Um, and I'll, I'll focus this on uh, the captain here because he's a guy that's plugged into a lot of the recruiting scene here and is, has a lot more knowledge than, than I do just on what's going on in the recruiting world. But captain, get us familiar with maybe some of the names that are, are coming into Norman this weekend and are there any that you think might have a potential to be a sooner when it's all said and done after this weekend? There's going to be a lot of talent in Norman this weekend, as I think everybody knows. Uh, you're going to have a lot of, of 24 kids, but you're also going to have a lot of, of 25 and 26 class uh, kids as well. They're going to be showing up. So it's going to, it's going to be a really good group. But on top of that, you're going to have some, some 23 signees come in and, um, and spend some time with the recruits and the team and everything as well. So uh, names like David Stone, uh, Nigel Smith, the, uh, the defensive lineman from Melissa, Texas, uh, Joseph Jonah Ajanye from Conroe uh, will also be in. And, um, you know, that's just the defensive line group. You're going to have Casey Poe, uh, Garrett Sexton, Michael Boganowski, Michael Patterson McDonald, uh, Zion Kearney, uh, the wide receiver from Missouri City that, that OU – 
is pursuing really hard and, and seems to be in a really good position for, uh, along with, with several others that are uh, in the process of confirming, but haven't confirmed yet. So you know, we'll have to see who all shows up and who doesn't. But those are just some of the names that, that we know of right now that have announced that they'll be in Norman this weekend. As far as, um, oh, and another, another name uh, that I think is, is one to watch out for that I know a lot of, have talked about today and, and even over the last couple of days is Isaiah Autry, uh, the uh, offensive tackle. And uh, he's one that, that I would say we could keep an eye on as somebody who could commit. There's been a lot of uh, predictions put out there for him in recent days. And uh, as far as how this weekend, I think, or how we should expect this weekend to go overall, I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility that we could be looking at uh, Autry as well as maybe one other, one to two other commits this weekend. Uh, I'd say that's, that's that's a pretty good number for us to to look at or to expect as based on who we know is close and and who's coming in. And uh, the and those were the ones that I think have a real good chance of going public uh, sometime this weekend or shortly after. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if we have uh, two or three others that may not go public, but that may give the coaches an indication that OU is where they want to be. And, and then from there, it's a matter of, you know, are they going to take visits or not? And, and what does their process look like? But uh, I think there's a lot to look forward to even outside of the game uh, for Sooner fans this weekend, I, I think there's a really good shot that, that we see some good news coming out of this. The timing of all that is, is the question for me is, you know, there's, there's always uh, a, a bit of an unknown there as far as when some of that information could come out. Is it going to happen during the visit? Is it going to be announced after? Uh, we'll just have to wait and see on that. But there's a lot of really talented players that OU is in very good position for, that uh, that we could be hearing about sometime this weekend. And the thing to remember, too, is this staff uh, has seemingly knocked out of the park most, if not all, visits, um, at least that we've seen publicly. So <clears throat> having a big weekend like this with multiple targets uh, here at the same time um, can certainly cause a momentum shift. If you're not already, make sure you're following the captain here on Twitter. Um, it, I don't want to say read, I guess read between the lines might be uh, the best way to describe it in the recruiting world because there is a lot of you know, guys that are making uh, commitments, but they may not be as public or things may go well, but they're not going to publicly say a whole lot. But I think the captain's a, a pretty good uh, source that's plugged in that's going to give you a good perspective on how things went over the weekend. And I will say Michael uh, Boganowski, uh, if I'm saying that correctly, is a guy that at least is just top of mind for me right now. He's from Junction City. It's about 20 minutes away from Manhattan, Kansas. So pulling a linebacker out of their backyard would be be pretty awesome. Um, he just came to mind to me earlier today because Kansas State got a basketball commit out of Bartlesville, which isn't necessarily close to OU, but it always hurts that um, you know, a five-star player in basketball really isn't heavily considering OU and, and Kansas State's able to swoop in. So I uh, definitely want to get the Cats back for uh, for that one. Um, we've, got, uh, we've got two more questions, and then we'll wrap it out for the evening. Um, I'll start with Tattoo Baker on this next one. Just big picture, and, and you can answer this however you want. If you want to throw out a, a, uh, you know, a record prediction, feel free. But um, – 
you know, what's your expectations for this season? And I'll kind of put it in two categories. If you want to choose one of them, feel free. Are we looking at more rebuilding and, and roster overhaul this year? Or are you expecting more of a contender team, maybe not one that's going to win a national championship, but if you win the Big 12, you're, you're right there in the running for a playoff spot. Are you looking at more of a contender team this fall? I feel like we're honestly like in Texas is like where they were last year because obviously they upgraded. You want to be competitive in big games, right, like they were. Um, and then also to beat your rivals. So if we can beat Texas and also get lucky and be a contender for the Big 12, I feel like that's a plus. But if to be knocked out early, you know, like the, the loss to West Virginia hurt, you know, it even hurt even worse to Texas Tech, like that obviously would be a negative for this year. But like to be in the hunt kind of like Kansas State was last year, nobody – Nobody thought that they were going to go like maybe with Oklahoma State and with Texas being kind of dominant and then just kind of felt the falter. Um, definitely be a contender and then get lucky on a few games, but also to beat our rivals. So do that. I feel like it'd be a great year. If not, then it could be a negative. So Texas definitely, I think, will be pretty solid. It's easy to hate on them for what they've been over the last decade or so, but Quinn Ewers, you know basically was his true freshman year last year and he had some moments and he's only going to get better if, if we're if we're not looking at it through crimson colored glasses so they'll certainly bring a lot of competition there Tyler how do you see this upcoming 2023 season playing out well I mean definitely expectations um, for, for this team you know each and every year is to win the big 12 in uh, this year obviously there's going to be some hurdles there's going to be some obstacles that this team's going to have to overcome uh, you know, both internally, but when also, you know, some of the opponents that are on the schedule. Uh, but I mean, just looking at the, you know, the 2023 schedule, Adam, it's, it's very, very favorable. I mean, in my opinion, there is absolutely no reason Arkansas State, SMU, at Tulsa, at Cincinnati, Iowa State, there's no reason why you should be 5-0 and uh, when the team, you know, heads down, uh, you know, I-35 South to Dallas for OU Texas weekend. So, and then just kind of like every single year, OU Texas game, you know, that can kind of, not make or break the season, but that ultimately can springboard you, you know, into what could be a pretty special season for Oklahoma. So um, just looking at this, I, I think nine and three is the ceiling, or I mean, excuse me, is the floor. Um, I would expect nine and three, 10 and two. Uh, I think that there's still too many question marks. And I think also there's a few teams in the big 12 that are also, I think going to be a little bit better than what people are giving them credit for at this point right now on, on April 18th. So, I fully expect nine and three, ten and two wins and losses. Yes, that's ultimately what we judge this team by. But um, not to be, you know, doing too much forward thinking or you know looking too far down the path. But I mean, we're all we're all feeling it. The move to the SEC here in uh, in 2024 it is coming. So we're all we're all trying to look at this roster and try to forecast how we stack up with some of not just the elite talent in the SEC, but when you get into that schedule and you're facing, you know, those tough physical opponents week in and week out, do we have the roster makeup uh, to be able to compete on a full, you know, 12 game schedule? Uh, and right now I think that we're definitely sitting in a better position than we were this time a year ago, but there's still a whole other level that we've got to get to as a program. So yeah, we're going to, I'm going to be judging this season by wins and losses, but growth and development across the board, both coaches and players, I want to see everybody take a positive step in that direction because a big move is coming. Andrew, are you are you thinking that this team can reach that ceiling as well? Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> there's expectations for just putting on that uniform. <clears throat> and 
you know, then, and then we have to put on the reality glasses and take a step back and go, okay, so here's what we want to see every single year because this is our expectations. <clears throat> and then here's what we really should probably be expecting. Um, and I think, honestly, the line of that is probably somewhere right in between. Um, so <clears throat> I, I, I want to look optimistically, but I definitely do see um, question marks. Um, but obviously having a um, soft schedule <clears throat> lends its assistance. Uh, but you got to take care of business <clears throat> and you can't trip up um, on something that you have no business of. So um, I think that nine and three, I, I've said this before. I said this at the begin at the end of last year. I'm not coming off of my nine and three prediction. However, I have hopes and can see a path to higher success. Uh, and some of that's just my um, my PTSD from last season, if you will, because I had a very similar mind last year. Um, but uh, having having that said, <clears throat> it's very much a uh, make or break year for for Brent Venables um, and in just the eyes of many. I'm not necessarily saying I'm putting pressure on him, but you just kind of see it around where the expectations of success uh, and and showing a clear path to success and sustained success um, is riding on this season. So you definitely have to hope that they they feel that and they can push that into um, wins. You you are right in line with how my brain kind of thinks about things, Andrew, because yes, when you put on that uniform, championships are expected. I think that's going to be, that's another conversation as far as that adjustment as we move to the SEC. But, but yeah, if you asked OU fans before Brent Venables ever coached a game, it was, you know, in year two, what do you think that team's going to be? I don't think anyone would say nine wins was good enough in year two, but the standard kind of got reset. So I'm of the opinion that, yeah, you need to win 10-plus games. You need to be competing for the Big 12 championship, especially with how easy the schedule is. But then at the same time, I do have to be realistic about, yeah, there's some real question marks, you know, on the interior of, of both sides of the, the line. Uh, specifically, there's lots of new faces, um, you know, all across the board. We're still trying to recover some of the roster and raise the overall talent level. So it is, it is certainly tough to – um, have expectations, but also have the realistic aspect of it. Uh, Captain, I'll let you finish us out here. You know, what is your expectation for the upcoming fall? With the schedule and and with the the kind of improvements and the, with the the roster improvements and the expected level of, of performance, based off of that, I'm expecting ten wins. And I, whatever. I, you talk to people within the program and around the program and people who are familiar with, with what Venables has been uh, preaching inside the building there. Uh, 10 wins seems to be the, the consistent message as far as the expectation there. And, uh, and then along with that, I think that you've got to win the conference title. Uh, and I've bounced back and forth in my mind about, you know, is it, should it be just a conference title appearance or should it be, should the expectation be to win? And, and for me, if you're going to maintain the recruiting momentum that you need in order to, to compete with the SEC and, and not suffer some sort of a letdown uh, on the recruiting trail and within your own program, I, I think they, they need to push to that 10 win 
mark and and get to that so that they can be in the, in the in the best position possible as they make that transition. Will they be okay if they if they win nine and and maybe lose in the title game or or don't make it to the title game? Yeah, they'll be quote unquote fine. But uh, but I think you've got to uh, to have ten wins as the baseline. And and I think it would be disappointing or I don't know if a, a failure may be too strong a word, but it would definitely be disappointing if they can't get to that 10-1 mark because if they don't, then in my mind, that means that the defense isn't as improved as we're, we're hoping or we're expecting. You know, maybe Dylan uh, it, it has a tough year or some of the wide receivers uh, don't don't produce like we need them to. You know, think, things something has gone wrong at that at that point and then that creates a whole new set of questions uh within the fan base and uh and also on the recruiting trail as well so it just doesn't it, it creates more things you have to overcome but uh the good news is I, I think that OU is in a position to meet that that mark of 10 wins and and winning the title of the big 12 in their in their last season but uh there's a lot of, of unknowns that that we have to answer and hopefully the spring game will give us at least the beginning to some of those answers. We'll have to see how it plays out, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, Adam, I think in a perfect world, you couldn't script it up any better than for Oklahoma in their final season in the big 12 conference with everything that's gone on, you know, whether it's Bob Bowlesby or with everything that's gone on in the last, you know, 12 to 24 months with the, uh, the SEC transition being made known to the public, you couldn't script it any better than for Oklahoma to walk off that field in Arlington the first weekend in December, win that Big 12, take that trophy, and and bounce out of this conference and head into the SEC. So, Adam, I'm honestly kind of surprised, and, you know, Andrew, Captain, we've, we made it this far into this episode without talking about DeSan McCullough, Justin Harrington, the, you know, the famous cheetah position. So I know we talked about linebacker position, you know, or we'll kind of put a bow on this and wrap things up. We talked about the linebacker position and, you know, Danny going into year three, uh, you know, this is his defense. I, I know a lot of people, I'm especially one of them, that are excited to see this kid take another step because I think that the sky's the limit for what this kid is going to have the ability to do. Um, you know, we all talk about Kobe McKenzie, Jaron Canick, but when you look at see Oklahoma losing Deshaun White uh, to the next level, now you've got, the, you know, kind of the two-headed monster right now, Justin Harrington, who's a little bit further ahead right now from everything we're hearing uh, over Deshaun McCullough, but you just talk about the athleticism, especially from the guys in the front seven. I think that Oklahoma, they're pushing all the right buttons and they're starting to transform this roster uh, to where they're more well-equipped to, one, not just run Brent's style of defense, but two, once you get into the back half of the season, you're not, you know, you've got the depth at some of those key areas to where, you know, you can you play that consistent, tough brand of football for all 12 games. And I think that this is going to be something that we're going to kind of get our first taste of on Saturday. Uh, and it's going to, I think we're going to walk out of that stadium on Saturday uh, extremely optimistic uh, and, you know, very much looking forward to that first weekend in September when Arkansas State rolls into town. 100%. Appreciate everyone uh, joining in and listening tonight. Uh, if you're not familiar with, with us, I'm Adam. I'm from the Mainline Podcast. Tyler's my, my normal co-host over at the Mainline. If you joined us halfway through, want to hear the rest of the conversation, make sure you're subscribed uh, to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts we've got a, a tweet in there with the link on there and you're able to go back we'll have this episode up later this evening and uh, make sure you're following all of our, our speakers as well we greatly appreciate them giving us their time this evening to 
uh, provide their insights on just the spring game, the recruiting, everything that's going on uh, here uh, as we launch into another season of OU football, hopefully one that brings us a lot more uh, success and excitement than we saw uh, last last season. So uh, greatly appreciate everyone listening, and uh, we will uh, see everyone again next week for another episode of the Mainline Podcast. <laughs>